Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. I'm your host today, Rodney Hu. Today I'm joined by another special guest, Mr. Andrew Kelly. He's the Chief Commercial Officer of BoxLock. And BoxLock is the industry leader in secure unattended delivery technology. The company's inventory, access, and security solutions integrate into existing systems to help businesses make their supply chain more efficient, accountable, and reliable in the first and final mile. So with that being said, I'm excited to kind of have him on and share what they're working on in the industry and um, how the technology applies to the healthcare space. So with that being said, Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Rodney, thank you so much for having me. You know, happy to share what little knowledge I have. And also, uh, you know, maybe we can have just a, a good old fashioned conversation today about healthcare. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So why don't we just jump into it? Why don't you give people a quick background of kind of your story, how you got into box lock and uh, how you guys got into the healthcare industry? Yeah, so um, I've been in technology for my entire career. So a mechanical engineer. Um, and so uh worked on 3D printing. Um, this is my third startup. I've been in supply chain for the last eight years and specific to BoxLock, uh, healthcare is one of those industries that is large. Um, there are things that are mission critical. Um, safety and security is important. And so all of those things sort of play uh, really well with what we do. And so um, in healthcare, you may know that um, the diagnostics play a huge role on the clinical side, right? And so whether it's uh, blood, hair, urine, bone, that diagnostic test has an impact on how the, the doctor or clinician uh, it either prescribes or recommends a course of treatment, you know? And so a lot of times the lab logistics process can be a little bit messy, Right. So, for example, there's a there's a such thing as like irretrievable samples. Right. And so um, if there's a sample that can't be reproduced because either let's say it was a, a, a mole or a skin tag or a suspicious growth. Right. Well, it's not like the patient's going to produce another one of those. <laughs> right. And so if it gets lost in the, the lab logistics supply chain, then that's kind of a problem. Um, like in the in the grand scheme of things for a healthcare provider. Right. Who's serving like a, maybe a community of 100,000 or, or more um, uh, patients. Not a big deal. But to that one individual, it's a very big deal. You know, and so when we can be helpful to folks that are in the uh, in the business of uh, making sure diagnostics get to where they need to go, that they're collected properly and that it's an efficient process and also that there's an audit log of what happened and when, then, you know, we're all about that because, you know, that's that's sort of a, a greater mission than just focusing on the more narrow uh, sort of supply chain logistics piece of the business. Okay. And then just from a, like a broad perspective for people who don't know, I hear the term supply chain kind of thrown around a lot, but sure. can you kind of give your perspective on what supply chain is and what it's mean? Why is it important? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I think most people last year would have heard about PPE. If you didn't hear about PPE last year, I don't know where you were, <laughs> right? <laughs> because uh, PPE or personal protective equipment, of course, is what um, uh, people in healthcare uh, use to protect themselves, right? And so uh, it's not as though PPE just came into existence last year. PPE has been used in healthcare and manufacturing and in other industries for a long, long time, 
right? It's just that the shortage of PPE um, caused more conversations around supply chain. And so at its fundamental level, supply chain is just about getting goods to the right place at the right time fundamentally. In healthcare, that can mean PPE for nurses and doctors. Or on the diagnostic side, it could be reagents that are required in order to do certain kinds of tests, right? Um, you know, in, in hospitals, people with the title materials manager sometimes are kind of on the front line of figuring out not just uh, the PPE and reagents, but like everything down to, you know, needles and bedpans, right? Because you know, larger hospitals or integrated delivery networks, IDNs, they're, they're sort of like mini cities, right? And to run a city, there's a lot of goods uh, moving around. And in the supply chain, things can kind of get stuck. So in the simplest example, you can imagine on one floor, there's a glut of needles and on a different floor, there are no needles, right? So that's a bit of an inventory mismatch in a building, right? But, um, in an integrated delivery network where maybe there's a central hospital and there are many clinics or labs or other sort of satellite supporting uh, locations or, or, or even at the uh, point of patient care. Or, so I think about uh, test kits going to the home, um, then outside the building, the supply chain kinks can be even more pronounced, right? And so uh, think movement of goods, think inventory, think PPE, reagents, supplies, things like that, that sort of constitute the supply chain in healthcare. Okay, that makes sense. And yeah, it feels like there's there's a lot of moving parts in that process. So it's easy for things to kind of get like messed up and confusing. Um, but when it comes to BoxLock and um, how you guys look at the industry and kind of see it from a high level macro point of view, what sort of problems and pain points kind of stuck out to you guys? And how did you guys go about addressing those problems? Yeah, so inside of healthcare and life sciences broadly defined, there are like many, many different opportunities and either supply chain bottlenecks or, or problems that people are having. So on the operations side of things, inside of lab logistics, it's so uh, to put this in context, uh, so in our consumer lives, you know, we we go to the doctor, right? And it's very common. You'll see these little white lab boxes that are sitting there. Or if your blood is drawn, maybe the, the nurse uh, takes that uh, vial of blood and puts it in one of those little uh, lab boxes, right? And so in the U.S., uh, LabCorp, Quest, and Sonic are the um, top three uh, lab uh, and lab logistics providers. And, you know, in that process, uh, and there's about maybe 260,000 labs, I think, you know, in the U.S. Uh, so it's, it's a large kind of complicated field, right? And because of the flow of goods, whether that's, you know, vials of blood, right? And, or biopsies, or, you know, some of the other materials I mentioned before, we can be specifically helpful to people that are in operations that have pain points about uh, <laughs> one of the most common things that happens is let's say that a particular clinic has um, a, a daily um, specimen collection that's going to be picked up by a medical courier and there are supposed to be 50 vials of blood in, in a bag that the courier is going to pick up, but there are actually 49. And one is either, you know, still in processing or still on the lab bench or for whatever reason, just didn't get into the collection, right? 
in the industry that tends to create a sort of classic he said, she said game about, well, no, you got 50. No, we really got 49. And, and there's no way for people to actually know if that inventory or if those vials weren't actually counted, right? Okay. And so that tends to put more emotion than necessary into the conversation where we can scan each of those individual vials with a date stamp and timestamp so that both that lab and that medical courier know what happened and when. And so that data takes the emotion out of the conversation so that they can really focus on you know, their, their core mission, which is testing for the lab and then efficient lab logistics for that, that medical courier. And so in lab logistics, you know, there are a lot of opportunities for us to, to help that way. Um, separately, and, and I get it, some people will say that pharma is not healthcare, and I understand that completely, I do, right? But they're related, it's like they're cousins, they're, it's, it's not like they're um, in different families, you know, I, I think they're, you know, they're somewhat aligned. But um, in pharma or biotech or um, you know, increasingly personalized medicine, like whatever you want to, to call it, um, the need to secure the investment to create blockbuster drugs is high, right? Because as, as some listeners may know, um, the average blockbuster drug, bless you, uh, may take about $2.6 billion to commercialize, which is a lot of money, right? And so some of these ultra low freezers that are storing some of these molecules or gene therapies or personalized medicines, they can have a half million dollars worth of product inside. And it's not like somebody's going to take that to the pawn shop for beer money. That's not what happens here. It's it's the fact that if that particular gene therapy has to be kept at an ultra low temperature and that door to the freezer is left ajar for 10, 20, 30 minutes, then that batch can be ruined. And all that work that led up to getting to that level for phase one or two or three of clinical trials or, or what have you uh, can, can be for naught. And you have to kind of start over, right, in order to um, conform to the, that particular clinical trial or whatever the process is for that particular drug development. And so in the pharma space, um, a lot of times customers uh, contact us about uh, that same compliance, that same um, sort of visibility and real-time notifications for the gene therapies that they may have in these ultra-low freezers. And so, you know, those are a couple of uh, instances. So lab logistics and pharma inside of healthcare where um, the, the operations folks, the directors of supply chain or the SVPs of uh, logistics are seeking us out. Nice. And so for a lot of people, I feel like it's important, but they're not aware of it. So just by having you kind of explain that and kind of the consequences of something when something does go bad, how it impacts, like, like you said, just leaving the door open for 15 minutes could compromise a whole batch of um, substances or whatever. Um, but when it comes to box lock, like for me, I think of like both hardware and software because you have yeah. a mix of both so can you kind of like share the value on each like the hardware that you guys develop but also the software and how you guys are able to track data and how that data can be used um as an overall strategy and getting a comprehensive view of um the data pretty much 
Yeah, so it's, it's a total solution, right? And so depending on who you are, if you're an administrator, you may never touch a lock. And by the way, I know that some people can't see, but it's a lock with a barcode scanner and it's got connectivity you know, inside of it. So that's what it is for people that can't see. Um, and there are more videos on our website. So the lock itself is sort of an internet of things or an IoT device because it's connected. So it is a thing that is on the internet. And then it can be inside of a... Uh, a, a fleet of locks, if you will, sort of on the hardware side. But the most important thing is the software behind it, right? So that connectivity allows us to do certain things that you you couldn't normally do. And so like thinking back to high school days, most of us probably had like a combination lock, right? And you knew that combination, or at least you you try to remember that combination because otherwise somebody's going to have to like come cut your lock off, right? <laughs> um, uh, so with with box lock, you know we we get out of the uh, sort of individual uh, key game or the physical key game. If you in case you had a key lock instead of a you know a tumbler lock. And we think about barcodes as digital keys, and so those digital keys allow for uh, for example. Um, a, a lab technician to scan their badge or scan a barcode and open the lock to put a specimen inside, or in the case of pharma, for a technician to, uh, you know, scan the uh, scan their badge, open a lock so that they can either put something in or take something out of one of these ultra low freezers. And so it's that combination of hardware and software. And so in the software, conceptually, you can have different locations that have different locks that have different barcodes that can look at item level activity. And of course you can have reporting as well, right? So that's a lot. Um, but the, the basic idea is you can use the software to control any cubic volume in your entire healthcare supply chain, whether that's an ultra low freezer or a bin that you have for incoming PPE reagents and supplies or some other location where you need either inventory management or access control or contactless deliveries and collections. And the software, it's its a web portal, right? So it's, it's not on-premise software. You, you don't have to um, you know, really change anything that you're doing. It's a login. You log into the software. The functionality I just mentioned is all there. It's very easy to use. And then in terms of the locks themselves, we just ask people like, what are you trying to secure and where, right? And then we ship them out locks and it's fairly straightforward. And so that's that's kind of how it works. It's pretty simple. And oh, the, the other thing I would say is it's also very uncomplicated, right? So in less than a week, we can stand up a software environment, have locks in the hands of a customer, have an onboarding team, give them a one hour onboarding session to kind of get their exact workflow going. Uh, because so here we're talking about healthcare, but we also spend time in manufacturing and other industry verticals. And so, you know, independent of the industry vertical, if there is a use case that we are a fit for, we can have a customer up and running in a week with both the software and the hardware sort of working together. I like that. And I like how you gave that example of like taking it all the way back to high school, because that kind of brought me back to when I used to have a locker and that's kind yeah. of the old way and box lock is a new way. And so I think that's like the real value because it's, it's not just that piece of hardware, it's the additional software component and the data that you're getting access to. And I really like the idea of the contactless collection and delivery and how that makes the whole process more efficient, reduces friction on both ends, the delivery and the um, buyer's side. Um,
But yeah, that's super interesting. How did how did you guys like come up with the design and like go about testing different locks and deciding on like what works and what doesn't work and coming up with the main model? Yeah, so actually, so our founder, Brad Rupkis, had this idea um, years ago because his parents kept getting parcels stolen off their porch. And so the initial conception of this was to protect porches from porch pirates. And um, because I think particularly in the last 12 months, m- most of us have many parcels that are coming to our home, right? Yeah. And so, you know, if you've got an order of some bananas, okay, peace. Somebody steals your bananas, not a big deal. But if you've got a high-end gaming laptop or if you've got something that's valuable uh, or, or at least valuable to you, then you don't want it stolen, right? Uh, and so uh, this idea was conceived more on the consumer side. Um, I came in about a year ago because I think in supply chain on the B2B side, there are opportunities to sell not one uh, sort of lock per household, but you know multiple subscriptions per business location. And so that's interesting because we can help more people that way, right? And so, you know, helping out on the residential side is great. Helping out on the B2B side, I think, is even more interesting. And then in terms of um, like the hardware and the software, so, you know, the, the lock, I think, so you, you alluded to something um, a bit ago. So, you know, the, the, the keyed locks and the tumbler locks are you know, taking us back to high school, right? And so conceptually, I think it's pretty easy for people to understand locks. And so sometimes we lead conversations with that because everybody knows what a lock is. Mm-hmm. However, it's a little counterintuitive that a lock would have a barcode scanner or, and connectivity. And so once people sort of wrap their minds around that, then the, the short walk to the software the data, the audit log, that gets even easier, right? And so it, it really was um, about solving problems for people, starting on the residential side, and you know, as we're finding in healthcare, in particular, in uh, lab logistics, in pharma, and increasingly in telehealth, uh, where you know there's. Telehealth is booming right now, obviously, right? And it's because, you know, some people are still afraid to go into a hospital environment or hospitals are completely overwhelmed, right? So so here in the U.S., it's not nearly at the level that it is in India, right? But there's still a lot of stress on the uh, on the healthcare system. And so telehealth is good, but up to a point. But sometimes there has to be something physical that complements the digital piece of telehealth mm. because you can't, get a complete prescription just by sending emails back and forth, mm-hmm. typically, you know? Um, sometimes either a sample has to be set in or a prescription has to be sent out or, a, you know, a, a test kit, you know, needs to be picked up. And enabling that in addition to the digital uh, piece of telehealth, um, you know, we can help emerging telehealth providers, you know, do more, you know, as a result of our solution, because, you know, we can offer contactless collections and deliveries, and that can complement what they're uh, doing on the telehealth side. And so we focus on people's problems. We try to solve them, you know, we're active listeners and, you know, we're just trying to get smarter every single week. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know like your number one vertical is healthcare, but you also mentioned like you're in a bunch of other verticals. Yeah. what kind of makes healthcare stick out to you and what sort of opportunities or potential do you see in healthcare, which is why you guys kind of doubled down on this industry, this vertical? 
Yeah, um, I, I think it's because of the demand, frankly, right? And so the demand and interest and the, the pain, right? So that um, <laughs> like most of the folks that I talk to, if they're like a, you know, a director or VP of operations in, in lab logistics, they know that he said, she said pain acutely, right? Or they know the pain of, uh, so typically how it works is um, there may be cutoff times. And so a medical courier may sign a contract with a lab saying something like, we're going to stop by your lab boxes two or three times a day, whether there's something in it or not. So first of all, that's a little bit inefficient because in this day and age, we can figure out how to know if something's in a box or not. So that's, the, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is there's also pain if there's, particularly if it's a remote location or rural location uh, and there's nothing in the box and so, some medical courier has to drive 45 minutes to go and look at an empty box and 45 minutes back for, 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 for literally nothing. They, they collected nothing. So that's, um, that's time that they could have been doing anything else. And so sort of giving them, them that 90 minutes back so that they could uh, service additional customers so that they could not burn that fuel um, so that they could increase the efficiency of their operations. Like that's, that's real dollars, right? And dollars are tight, <laughs> you know? And so um, if we can not only save them this that wasted time, the 90 minutes, but save them money as well, Plus, also get out of that he said, she said game because we can have visibility into either vial level or bag level or box level, um, you know, uh, data inside of the lab logistics uh, workflow, then that's a message that just really resonated with a lot of folks in lab logistics, right? And so that the the desire to solve the problem and the demand of the people that have the problem that's really what has made healthcare um, our our number one industry vertical uh, thus far. Nice, and so I I see the value of having Boxlock, and obviously you guys are in the healthcare vertical for a reason. Uh, but what sort of challenges have you kind of noticed when trying to get your product into the hands of um, other suppliers and whatnot or other buyers and um, what kind of uh, sticks out to you oh for sure so on the hospital side right so you know we so um i won't name them by name but there are some really really large hospitals right and everyone knows their names right um but you know there's there's one system in uh in pennsylvania and you know maybe six months ago um, it was all about just saving lives. They don't have time to entertain new technology at all, right? Now it's more, you know, still putting shots in arms and protecting people because I think in the U.S. maybe we're, what, 30, 35% vaccinated, somewhere around there. And so there's still a massive push to get, um, and, it's, and there's a bit of a trade-off here, right? Because they want to protect their entire community, but they have to protect their workforce as well. And so they're, they're, they're understaffed and continuing to have to hire people and they have to make sure that they're protected from, um, from a vaccination perspective and they have to protect their community. And so, um, you know, you, you can't knowingly have frontline workers, you know, not be protected because as those frontline workers go down, we've seen that that has a trickle uh, down effect on the community because, you know, you can't help somebody if you yourself is in distress, right? Yeah. That's just how it works. And so, it's the kind of, you know, all out war that's being waged against uh, COVID, I think, has been one of the you know, key challenges. And, you know, that will start to abate, I think, inside the next, um, 
three to six months or so as more people get vaccinated and or just gain protection naturally as we move a little bit closer to herd immunity. Uh, but, you know, for sure on the hospital side, um, you know, we, we want our, you know, major hospitals out there, you know, protecting communities and leveraging whatever technology they, they have, and we'll be ready for them in Q3 and Q4. Right, uh, and so those conversations, we we want to make sure that um, you know we're just not uh, overly pushy, <laughs> right? Uh, but they just know who we are. They know what we do, right? And when they're ready, when they're not, um, you know, like having a fire drill like every single hour. Oh, oh for for example, um, um, there's a there was a system in Louisiana, right? Who's it, it's a it's, it's a very large, well known system, and you know every time they get shorted by vaccine that creates basically um, a, a plan that changes like their entire workflow for that day or that week, right? Because then they have to reallocate resources dynamically and they have to kind of uh, shuffle things around in order to adjust, you know? And so those are the kinds of things on the hospital side that have made it a little bit slower going uh, than in lab logistics and pharma. So what advice would you have for healthcare professionals or healthcare companies that are looking to leverage new or better technology to kind of help with their collection and their delivery? Yeah, so I think it's, it's you know, uh, talking to folks like me, talking to folks on the team, you know, um, we know that people love to consume video, right? And so we've got some really short 30 second videos on our website because, you know, not everybody wants to read a white paper. Now we have one, it's called the logistics of blood. I think it's beautiful, right? However, <laughs> we know that not everybody wants to read like a five page plus, you know, white paper. And so, you know, we've got some 30 second videos that are highly consumable as well um, on the logistics of blood side, on the pharma side, um, you know, talking about, you know, lab boxes, inventory management, Collections, things like that, uh, because you know it. So our headquarters is in Atlanta, and so um, you know one of the guys on the team is amazing uh, at, at shooting video and uh, photography. And so we got some actual in lab uh, footage that we're able to you know put into some of the the various videos, so that it's um, hopefully it hits a little bit closer to home uh, for folks that are in healthcare. And so check out our videos. That's probably the quickest thing. Uh, and if that's interesting. Can just have a 15 minute conversation, right? And then uh, we can kind of take it from there, whether it's lab logistics, pharma, hospital, telehealth, et cetera. Awesome. Awesome. I think that's a great piece of advice. Um, but before we kind of end the main segment, get on to our last exercise, I like the way your, your mind works, like the way that you articulate your ideas and topics. Um, so, like what? What's your whole role in the company? Like, what's your role and responsibility as the chief commercial oh, yeah. officer? Yeah. So, uh, so I'm the chief commercial officer here, and so really, what that means is, um, at, at its simplest level, where should we go fish, right? <laughs> where should we go spend time from a go-to-market perspective? And so, you, you know, I've, I've been around like lots of fancy like go-to-market sales and marketing kind of um, you know strategies and kind of like high-level you know mission, vision, tactics. Uh, kind of brainstorming and sales playbook uh, building and like all those kinds of things. But at its simplest level, I think it's really about, do we have a solution that fundamentally solves a problem that people care about and is costing them either time pain or dollar pain today, right? And then backing away from that. And so um, in the final analysis, my job is to help build a sales culture, a go-to-market culture, a team that ultimately will put me out of a job. That's my goal. 
right? And so from the most junior person on the team uh, to the most senior person on the team, how am I developing them so that a year from now, their skill set, their resume bullets, their capability is better than it is today, right? And so I spend a lot of time on coaching, training, mentoring, feedback, uh, including them in conversations because in general, I think the arc is seeing, doing, and teaching, right? First, you see something and you kind of get familiar with it. And then, then you actually do it and you gain a deeper level of understanding. And then you become the sensei and you can teach somebody else, right? And so in that arc of seeing, doing, and teaching, I'm always thinking about for my team, who can be the next teacher, right? Because so right now I'm hiring for like, you know, two additional sales development reps. I'll probably add a sales intern, um, you know, separately on the engineering side, we're looking for a full stack developer. And so as these new folks are coming in, it's the existing folks that we have that are going to grow into those teacher roles, right? And so it's this virtuous cycle where you get people sort of, you know, on that uh, really positive treadmill. And I think the the highest and best use of my time at Boxstock is really, you know, identifying, developing, and retaining talent. Right? That's really what I do. Um, I happen to do that. Really focus on go to market, but I think that those lessons translate across all different functional areas inside of a business. Dang, okay. So that's like a major leadership role, like leadership mindset. So like I was watching like Planet of the Apes not too long ago and uh, Caesar, the main ape, was like apes together strong, <laughs> you know? So, and it reminds me of the same. It's like, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And so it's like the principles and the ideas that you're creating with your team allows is what's kind of creating the success for your company overall. So that's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, that's that's how I think about it. I uh, it's, it's, so I, I buy into that uh, statement. You know, if you want to go um, fast, go alone. You want to uh, go far, go with people. I buy into that one hundred percent, right? And so, from my perspective, what, the most fun thing for me over my career has been when there has been somebody on my team historically that started at uh, you know one level, and now they're getting a VP job. Or, or they started at a junior level and now they're running their own business, right? Like I love getting calls like that, right? Because then I know I did a tiny little part to help them on their journey. Because personally, the longest job I've ever held has been for eight years. These days, I think the average uh, tenure for employment is more like four years. And so if most people are going to have a job for less than four years, that four years, it, it better be really impactful. It, it, it better be setting them up for like whatever the next role, the next job, the next company, the next opportunity is, right? Whether they're going to stay in big corporate or if they're going to be an entrepreneur, do something on the startup side or do something in, in the middle, right? Just making sure that <laughs> just it's like the old adage, you know, you pick the professor, not the course. Right. I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, you, you pick the boss and not really the job description because so I've worked at really big companies where you have to have very narrow job descriptions because otherwise people are stepping all over each other and it's a mess. Mm. Right. But in entrepreneurial companies and growth stage companies, the, the flexibility on the job description can be what you make it if you've got the initiative. Right. And so we've got people that have fantastic initiative. And, you know, I, I think about it as um, how can I unlock a towering strength in the people that I have, right? Because I'm not looking to hire somebody to go do what I tell them to do. I'm looking to hire somebody who's going to go figure out what needs to be done, does it, and then tells me about it. It's different. I like it. That's excellent insight. 
like not even just for listeners, but for me as well. So I appreciate that answer. Um, sure. But we are coming up towards the end of the interview, but I like to uh, end each episode, each interview with a little lighter exercise or something I like to call the rapid fire round. So I'm just going to ask you a list of questions and you give me whatever answers you come up with. Okay, let's go. All right. So question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Favorite book of all time. Um, so I'm going to go with an oldie, but a goodie. Um, it would be uh, Stephen King, It. Now it's been a long time since I've read it. Uh, so I could pick from Stephen King or from Steinbeck or from some of the business books. I'm going to choose not to pick a business book on my shelf right now because <laughs> I, I love reading fiction. I don't have a lot of time for it, but yeah, I'm going to go with fiction. Stephen King, It. Awesome. Um, number two, who's the most influential person in your life or career? Um, in my life, hands down, my grandma, uh, tougher than nails. Um, in my career, probably Dave Johnson, who I first met at IBM, but was also a mentor at, uh, at Dell. And, you know, she's hands down. So he ran corporate development and strategy at uh, both um, IBM and Dell and was just a tremendous mentor. Awesome. Awesome. Number three, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year? This year, I want to accomplish so many different goals, so many different goals. Um, the most important one is I want to have a first draft of my book done. So I've outlined the book. I've got the three chapters. I don't have enough time to write. And so I'm trying to get to like a page a day. Right now, I'll settle for a page a week, right? And so I want to get a first draft written. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Keep me updated. Shoot the yeah. book over. I'll, I'll add a link to that for sure. Um, but last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? To my 20 year old self, I have to like think back, like where was I mentally in my twenties? I was probably a very angry, arrogant, self-absorbed person. And so I think the one piece of advice is be open to getting help from people around you. I think that's the number one thing. Surround yourself with eight, nines, or tens. All right, it's a law of averages. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a perfect piece of advice. Great way to end today's episode. Andrew, I just wanna thank you again for jumping on and sharing what you're doing over on BoxLock and giving people a uh, behind the scenes look on kind of what you guys are doing to tackle some pretty important problems within the healthcare industry. Um, so that being said, thank you for uh, jumping on. Thank you for having me, Rodney. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Before we go, though, where could people connect with you if they have more questions? Where can they uh, get more information? Oh, absolutely. So obviously, people connect, can connect with me on LinkedIn, um, but they can also go to uh, getboxlock.com if they want to know more about the company. Awesome. And I'll be sure to include those links in the resources section. Um, but with that being said, that ends today's episode. Catch you guys on the next one.